Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK Magazine and JCK Online. Today, JCK's Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski will talk about the Oscars, the Tucson Gem Shows, and De Grisogano. They'll also cover a weird jewelry story of the week. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, editor of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles. And this is Rob Bates, uh, news director of JCK and JCK Online in New York City. How's everything? Everything's good. Everything's good. Um, I was in Tucson all last week for the gem shows. We'll get to that. Uh, got home on Saturday night just in time to catch up with all the Oscar red carpet arrivals on Sunday afternoon. And for the first time in what felt like years, really sort of dedicated myself to watching the ceremony, um, which was I thought interesting, and and I'd seen a fair amount of the films, so I was pleased to see that Parasite won so many awards. It was a remarkable, a remarkable film. But yeah, not, I don't often get to catch the Oscars. Did did you get a chance to see them? Uh, no, I did not. No, we didn't have cable, and we didn't see any of the movies. But I guess uh, what the industry watches is is the red carpet. Yeah, well, it it was a very good year. It was a very good year for jewelry. Um, I must say, I think Emily wrote this in. Emily Vesselin, one of our senior editor, covered the Oscars for our, our website. And her first sentence was, did a memo circulate on some secret celebs-only listserv? Every major star seemed to be sporting major bling. And, and often it was a necklace, a really standout necklace, which was a really great departure from years past when we'd see a lot of bare necks, even some bare ears. I mean, some years it was really just like a pair of studs was the only concession to jewelry. And it it always struck me as wrong because why wouldn't you outfit a great grand ball gown at an event like the Oscars with some serious jewels? And this year they really turned out. There were a number of really standout pieces. I loved the necklaces on Charlize Theron, on Gal Gadot. Mindy Kaling wore a mega diamond chopard piece. Scarlett Johansson wore some really standout diamond uh, earrings, forever marked diamond earrings designed by Anita Coe. There were even some really great pieces on men. Um, Taika Watiti, who won best, I believe it was adapted screenplay for Jojo Rabbit, another really remarkable film. And another really standout piece on a, sported by a guy was Timothy Chalamet, who was a presenter, wore this kind of rakish zip-up blazer. It looked a little sporty, a little casual, although it kind of fits him. He's a sort of a younger guy who's really talented actor and he was wearing a traditional Cartier brooch, a mid-century vintage brooch. Um, again, color and diamonds and just looked cool and classy and jazzed up his kind of cash zip-up blazer. So I think it was a really great year for jewelry. I was very impressed. It was really fun to watch. People looked beautiful. The one other comment I should add is that it was a remarkably sort of white diamond look. There wasn't a ton of color and if there were colored stone pieces, they were more accents or kind of, you know, not not as visible. There there are some years, and I'll never forget the Lorraine Schwartz emeralds that Angelina Jolie wore, I believe it was 2009. It was really like the dawn of the emerald renaissance. And, there, you know, there are some years where you see really dramatic color, but this year was very much a, a diamond year, and it was fun. It was fun. And And they were... Not just diamonds, but I guess big diamonds. Big diamonds. Now, I don't have carat weights handy, but I do know that Bulgari, for example, outfitted, 
I think you say it's Zazie Beetz. Um, she was starred in The Joker, and she's a wonderful actress, was in the Hulu show Atlanta, and she was outfitted in major bulgari. I think I saw it was 120 carats of diamonds and emeralds combined, um, most notably on two necklaces that she piled on. One was a collar diamond necklace with an emerald and this kind of sunray collar necklace that sat beneath it, and she looked amazing. I think that was my favorite look of the night. But everything was was interesting, I would say. Even, I, I'd say one of the more interesting dresses of the night was Kristen Wiig wearing an incredibly crazy red gown. I don't even know. It almost looked like a giant piece of drapery that had been folded in intricate ways. But she wore a really dramatic pair of gold Nikos Koulis earrings, the same Greek designer that Taika Watiti wore as a lapel pin. So Nikos Koulis had a good night. Those were very dramatic gold earrings. So, But that was one of the few non-diamond pieces. Um, the other standout piece and that Emily mentioned in her review was America Ferreira wore this really, really cool headband. It turns out it was a custom Jennifer Bear brass headband. But when I saw America Ferreira talk, you know, on the red carpet and having her little chat with uh, whoever, you know, the ABC folks asking her about her fashion, she called out the headband and really said it was, um, it was from her, it, it was inspired by her Honduran heritage. And it was a sort of a tribal piece or a piece that, um, it really is linked back to where she's from. And I thought that was very cool and it looked great. I just thought it worked really well. So, yeah. I remember last year, Emily said that she noticed there was a lot bigger diamonds and bigger statement pieces. And I guess that's continuing. And I don't know if it's good economic times that, that makes that or just people kind of going back to that look. But it's, it's definitely seems to be a couple of years in a row now that we're seeing this. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I don't know. I feel like we're always in some sort of crisis. So it, it's just as easy to say, oh, well, we shouldn't be wearing dramatic necklaces and jewelry because of X, Y, and Z. But I do think there's just a pendulum swing. But for now, I think we can just indulge, um, you know, indulge in all this great jewelry that we're seeing. And of course, it gets you know, it's hard to translate a mega, you know, 60 karat diamond necklace into something that's reasonable and wearable and easy to sell. But I think just having jewelry out there really puts it top of mind and gives, gives a lot of people out there watching ideas of, of what they might want or covet. And, and that, that helps all of us. So, yay. Yeah, it helps this. I think it helps the status of the, pro of the product. Right. Because yeah, that's, you know, it's product placement was one of the earliest tricks the uh, diamond industry did that to to uh, put as many diamonds on celebrities as possible. So it's, it's still continuing, which is great. Yeah, it is. Uh, one thing I noted and, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't have a lot of insider information to share about it. But, you know, for years, Chopard used to dominate the the placements at the Oscars. And it, it was sort of magical and mystical how they managed to get their pieces on the, the the woman who would end up getting awarded the best actress award it was like they had some i don't know it was almost like they had some voodoo magic going on because every year it was like oh my god how did chopard know you know this was going to be the winner okay cool so that was it was good uh for the oscars uh, with diamonds, but you've also just seen a lot of colored stones. Yes, I just returned, like I said, from Tucson, where I so I drove in last Monday or Monday, February third. 
I was mostly um, situated at the Star Pass, which is a JW Marriott property where JCK Tucson has held its event since 2014. It's a really great property. You see tons of tons of people, not only people who are exhibiting and retailers who are buying, but you see lots of other designers who just like staying there. How how did you find the mood? Was, was the mood ho-hum or were the people... The mood was were... okay. I think people did okay. I think some people... You know, some people always have good years or at least, you know, talk about having good years. People didn't seem unhappy, but they didn't seem like they were having their best show ever. I'm not sure why that is. I, and I did wonder if, you know, the sort of coronavirus and its impact on travel and whether there were Chinese buyers that weren't coming. I've, I, I know that Chinese buyers have been a force. I mean, a real force in the gem market for years. That's something we'll have to sort of revisit in conversations over the next few weeks. But there was, you know, I stopped in. My very first stop when I arrived on Monday was to visit the Ethical Gem Fair. This was their very first time in Tucson. It was a very small show that was walking distance from the convention center. It was, I believe, only seven exhibitors. Monica Stevenson with Anza Gems was one of the... I guess, kind of advocates for bringing that fair here to the States. And Eric Bronwart, head of Columbia Gem House, was there. And he's really kind of the eminence grease in this world of people talking about social responsibility and ethical sourcing and transparency. He at Columbia Gem House has been talking about this for 20 years. So any conversation around what the gem trade is doing in terms of sustainability and responsibility, I think often starts with him. So it was great to catch up with him. And one of the things that he told me that I found really interesting was that, so he's a gem dealer, you know, I mean, I think everything he sells or virtually everything he sells is tracked and traced and has every assurance that it could possibly have, uh, but he's never dealt in crystals. And he said that, um, he said that he had people coming up to him at Pueblo asking about ethical sourcing of crystals and how it's really sort of this overlooked category. Cause of course you think of crystals and it's part of this whole wellness phenomenon that we see where, you know, people are selling crystal enhanced water bottles and home goods and you know yoga studios have their crystal setup and so all these things are meant to promote wellness and meditation and kind of right thinking and a lot of those crystals have probably been cut by you know child laborers and so there's this tremendous disconnect and and I think that's fascinating because this wellness thing was it, it seems to be blowing up I think jewelers it's a really natural place for jewelers to go and it's a great kind of entry into the world of color, really, because a lot of all these stones and kind of crystals eventually find their way into the faceted world. So it was cool. I, yeah. I enjoyed that. And that was, I thought, an interesting takeaway. Yeah. And I've, I, there have been a number of articles that talk about the disconnect, as you mentioned, between what's, you know, what people perceive as crystals as these amazing things and the way they're found. Because like any natural material, there's all sorts of issues in the supply chains. The, regarding the ethical gem fair, I, I think it's interesting because I've always heard that there's a little bit more resistance in the colored stone community towards some of these initiatives just because they, you know, it is so many small dealers who have trouble, you know, tracing and tracking and so many of the mines are small. And I've, I've always heard that there's the, the gemstone community is less inclined to embrace this than perhaps some of the other aspects of the trade. Did you did you find that or? I did, actually. I did. Um, 
I did have a conversation with a gemstone dealer who, yeah, felt like um, she was, you know, she very much was the devil's advocate saying this wasn't possible for a lot of dealers and that was complicated things for them that they felt like they they were trustworthy and that their customers who'd worked with them for a long time should understand that and know that. And, you know, I don't know if that's possible anymore just to sort of say, yes, I like you, I trust you, I know you. I do think we need to see proof. I don't have a brilliant solution for it, but I don't think it's possible for us to keep saying, sure, we'll just, we'll just take your word for it. I, I just don't, I don't think that's going to fly. But, but, you know, I did have a conversation. I had a breakfast with a woman who is working very hard to market a line of sapphires, a line of bridal rings featuring Sri Lankan sapphires that are all documented with blockchain. And she spends time in Sri Lanka and she knows exactly which mine every stone has come from. Everything has a barcode. And I think that's a worthwhile way to go. You know, blockchain, I know we've talked about blockchain. I know that it's still a very confusing technology for a lot of people, me included. But I think as we see more of these lines and more of these products come to market, it'll become more familiar. And that does seem like a way to do it. Of course, it involves, you know, a tremendous amount of documentation and a tremendous amount of research and legwork. But this is the world we live in. You know, this is what we have to do now. So, yeah. I mean, people send their gems to gem labs when, when they didn't necessarily did that 60 years ago. And it's a pain. It's a hassle. But people do it because there's a commercial incentive. And if there's a commercial or a legal incentive, people will figure out a way to do some of these things. It doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight or tomorrow. But I believe if, they're, if the government wants it and if consumers want it and if bankers want it, it will happen. I, I agree. I think it's it's inevitable. I think that train has left the station. Yeah. You know, one other thing I should say about Tucson, and there's a lot to say about Tucson. I was very honored to be asked to participate in the judging for the Gian Maria Bucciolati Foundation Jewelry Design Award. So they invited me along with, I believe it was four other judges, most of whom are jewelers, to judge a selection of 18 renderings produced by students across all of GIA's campuses. And wow, let me tell you, this was a really tough gig because these were really, really sophisticated designs and beautiful renderings. And so um, that was a really fun, fun thing and a, a, a kind of a difficult task. And it forced me to put on this, you know, this kind of judge's brain looking at renderings, which I mean, I'm the worst artist in the world. I couldn't draw my way out of a paper bag. So to see what students had done in, in a, the course of nine weeks, it was great. So really, it was quite an honor. Those were 18 fantastic designs. And man, the future is very bright and very interesting if these students are able to, you know, give these jewels life and bring them to life. So pretty exciting to see what the newest generation of designers is is coming up with. Right. So let me ask you, Rob, we're talking about color and you know Tucson, and I think of some of the and Oscar-worthy jewels, and I think of a company that was very strong in both realms, both beautiful color and Oscar-worthy jewels, which has come to sort of a, a sad and unfortunate conclusion. Degrasovino, can you what do you what can you tell us about what's happened with that company? Yeah, so they just they are now uh, deceased, I guess. They ceased. Um, they went bankrupt in Switzerland uh, last week. I, they were a huge name, as you know. They were, I guess they were really known for these big parties that they used to throw in Cannes. They were known for popularizing black diamonds. They had a store in New York City, which was on Madison Avenue. But behind the scenes, obviously, there was some interesting things. Uh, 
put it that way, going on. There was this big leak of uh, 700,000 documents that showed that the company was owned by Isabel uh, Dos Santos and her husband, as well as the Sodium, which is the Angolan State Diamond Company. And it was owned through this web of offshore uh, shell companies. Isabel Dos Santos, she's said to be worth $2 billion. She's the richest woman uh, they say in Africa. Um, mm. She says her fortune was self-made, but obviously she's the daughter of the former president of Angola, so I'm, I'm sure that certainly helped a bit. So what happened was it was this massive leak of all these documents, and I guess some Portuguese hacker found all these documents regarding Angola and regarding their business dealings. And from what we understand, the Angolan authorities, her and her husband, are now currently facing criminal charges in Angola, and they claim that they've stolen as much as nearly $2 billion from the country, which would be a wow. huge amount in our country. So you can imagine a country like Angola, which is one of the poorest countries in the world, and one of the ways they allegedly stole this money was funneling it through this kind of glamorous celebrity jeweler. You know, I think I really hope this gets people to wake up and start thinking about who they're dealing with. Because if, you know, again, a lot of this stuff, some of it's a secret, but some of it isn't a secret. And people need to think about, you know, what's best for their company, what's best for their business, what's best for the overall industry, and of course, what's best for humankind. You know, you don't, dealing with crooks is not good. You know, you're fostering kind of the worst things in the world, you know, because all these criminal enterprises are usually tied up with other criminal enterprises. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing Degra Sugino for years in Basel and in, I'd have been to their Madison Avenue boutique. The jewelry was very beautiful and very dramatic and they had watches and the stones they used. It was a distinct aesthetic. None of that is, you know, important in the slightest in this in this greater context. But it is sad. It's sad to see what people are capable of and, and how, how it affects entire countries. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, a very interesting story, a sad story. And I, I guess they've gotten their comeuppance. So I suppose there's some justice. Yeah. And my experience is that these stories don't just happen. There's just not a big bang. These things usually go on for years through the legal wrangling and through everything that's going to be coming out and through lawsuits and stuff like that. So I don't think we've I, I don't think we've heard the end of this story. I think this is something that's definitely going to evolve. If you're a fan of podcasts, you know that listener reviews is what helps make them possible. Help spread the word. Please rate, review, and subscribe to The Jewelry District on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And now, back to the show. And on that note, let's do the weird story of the week. Yay. And uh, we actually, yes. So this story is from the Daily Mail and People magazine. Uh, Domino's Australia is having a contest where it's giving away a ring that looks like a pizza. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. Uh, the one-of-a-kind <laughs> ring, valued at over $9,000, is handcrafted Whoa. Yeah, with an 18-carat yellow-and-white gold base and is topped with ruby pepperoni and diamond cheese. Oh, my God. My mouth is literally watering. Yeah. I, guess I'm, I guess I'm hungry. Cheese. And, of course, the ring comes nestled in its own cardboard pizza box. <laughs> <laughs> for it's, it's lame. For a chance to win, applicants must submit a 30-second video explaining how they would evolve a Domino's pizza in their romantic engagement. 
Oh, well, that's easy. I think I might enter. Well, I mean, saying what? I don't know. I have to think about it. My partner doesn't like dominoes, but I'm fine with it. And honestly, this ring sounds hilarious. Yeah. So why not? You know, throw my hat in the pizza box. Listen, what else you get? Okay. So let's say you come up with some cool plan. It will bring the plan to life as well as gift the happy couple with the exclusive piece of bling just before the big moment. And this is this is very important. The winners will be provided with catered pizzas <laughs> on the day of their wedding. Okay, well that oh, that would be a, that would be an that's issue. huge, that, huh? That that is huge. Is this only in Australia, though? I believe so. Yeah, I can't say for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, but I, mean, I I think a pizza ring sounds actually pretty cool, and like little ruby pepperonis. I mean, yum. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's definitely striking. It's <laughs> yeah, and it's a conversation piece, I guess. Not as much as a conversation piece as the last piece of jewelry we had, but yeah, a like, conversation yeah. pizza. A conversation pizza, exactly. <laughs> and let me, as long as we're on silly puns, let me just read. This this is from the Domino's Australia Chief Marketing Officer. Pizza is made to be shared with the ones we love. So this year we want to honor that with something really special and help create the greatest, if not the cheesiest, <laughs> proposal ever. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. There I love a go. good cheesy pun. Domino's is forever. Thank you, Rob. Oh, thank you. Thank for- you. For for not grossing me yeah, out. Yeah, there you go. I That's really that was except if unless Domino's Pizza grosses you out, which it, uh, it I know it does. It okay. doesn't. Well, there you go. Well, I think we have a a real legend. I know we use that word, we throw it around, but I think this is indisputable. We have a real legend coming up as our next guest. Yes, John Kennedy, president of the Jeweler Security Alliance, is going to talk about how to keep jewelers safe and all the good work he does. So that should be really interesting and uh, hopefully really useful. Can't wait to chat. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK. JCK.